got into doing the holographic chess scene was there was some overflow work uh, from England for the cantina scene. George wanted to open it up to more uh, alien-like characters. And so while we were, we were building this stuff, George would stop by once a week and check out the progress. And during one of his visits, he saw some stop-motion puppets that we had just sitting on a shelf. And George was like a big fan of the Ray Harryhausen movies and knew that the potential for doing this stuff you know, was, was really terrific if you could get it working. And we were like these guys that we were looking for a job that could do that kind of stuff. So George hired John Berg and myself to do this chess piece. There's a little character that bing, 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 kind of jumps in like a kangaroo, and another thing that comes up and picks it up and throws it on the ground. And the big thing was this character that I had that had a skeleton in it, and the rest are very, very simple and very rudimentary. And we, we probably banged them out in like two or three days and went over to ILM, and Dennis set up the shot. And uh, I think we shot the, all of the takes in just a matter of two days. He made a fair move. Screaming about it can't help you. I don't have it. It's not wise to upset a Wookiee. But, sir, nobody worries about upsetting a droid. It's because a droid don't pull people's arms out of their sockets when they lose. Wookiees are known to do that. I see your point, sir. I suggest a new strategy, Arthur. Let the Wookiee win. Jason. And this is Gabe. And folks, this is an episode we've been meaning to do for years. This is a topic that we're extremely serious and passionate about. This is, I know usually we joke around a lot in Blast Points episodes, but tonight, this is no joke. This is very serious. We are talking about wine and cheese pairings with the Star Wars saga. We've got 12 movies, we've got 12 wines, and 12 cheeses right Gabe like let's give let's give a broad overview of what we've got going on here yes we have a lot of wine a lot of cheese and there's a lot of Star Wars so we're gonna start at the beginning here with a new hope which goes great with a room temperature brie and a wonderful bottle of Pinot Noir Mm, mm, okay and moving on to Empire Strikes Back is wonderful with a Nice sharp Beaufort trees and a fresh glass of a sparkling Chardonnay. 
Mm. Return of the Jedi, Job of the Hut. Nothing says that. Like, uh, oh, 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 wait, wait. Who's that? I, I, I don't know what's happening here. Wait, I think my phone is ringing. Uh, this that sounds really familiar. I feel I don't know. I should I should pick this up. Hold on. Hello, uh, Jason. <laughs> is is Gabe there too? I'm here. I feel like I'm interrupting something. Also, somehow doing the fans a great service. <laughs> <laughs> is this Regal Robot and Tom Spina Designs? Tom Spina? It sure is. <laughs> I, I just had this overwhelming feeling of thousands of people listening and suffering. <laughs> and, and I thought, I'd better get in here and, and, and do something about it. What were, what were you guys talking about before I called in? Nothing. Oh, all right then. <laughs> I, well, I guess I'll just head out. I, I just, <laughs> it's weird. It was just like a feeling, you know, like a force came over me or something. I, I don't know. But um, uh, I'll just leave you to it. Clearly, you got things under control. Everybody's being entertained. I wouldn't dare to interrupt. I, I don't even know what I was thinking. Let me, let me run. I'll let you guys go. No, I'll no, let Tom. You. Wait. Tom. I feel like you have something to tell the kids out there. Something for the kids, the audience. Well, I mean, if it's for the kids, then I guess I should stick around. Uh, thanks, guys. Uh, gosh. <laughs> Acting. That's it. Thank you. Brilliant. Uh, we need Lovitz and, and uh, <laughs> why can't I think of his name? Lithgow. <laughs> Such a good bit. Uh, unlike ours. Um, <laughs> so, 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 Tom, why don't you tell us what this episode is really about? What we're what we're going to be talking about tonight? Because this is this is really exciting and really fantastic. You guys have been on me for a little bit on this, and the timing could not be better. This is tonight. We are talking hollow chess, and that's uh, I think something that I have become completely obsessed with over the last nine months um, <laughs> and I was mildly obsessed with it before, but really have gone through the looking glass on it. And I'm, I'm, you know, this is like the peak of it today is the first chance for people to see full galleries and all the information about the hollow chess monster prop replicas we have made uh, through Regal Robot. So if you go to regalrobot.com, go to the news page, there'll be links to the product pages. There's two different pages. There's a, an amazing signature set. There's these two packs that we're doing. All of this stuff is just super premium, super high end, super detailed and accurate and authentic and faithful to the stuff that uh, Phil Tippett and John Berg did all those years ago. And, uh, and then redid for the force awakens and we even got to use phil's uh digital uh models and things like that that they used for the force awakens when they went and they scanned and they did photogrammetry of many of the old puppets and i'm like beyond excited about all of this and it's been bubbling up for so long we have been working so hard <laughs> for so long on this that it's weird to me, you know, it's like you push the button on the site to publish the post and then you just kind of go like, oh, oh, I, OK, I guess I did that now. You know, like, <laughs> I guess it's out there. It, you're, the sculpts that you guys have done is, is so incredible and it's so faithful. And this has just got to be such a it's not like you haven't done much. <laughs> That's the thing, you know, uh, it, it's yeah. funny, too, because it's so 
there's this weird thing that happens where so with Tom Spina designs, you know, we're in this constant treadmill of projects going of all sorts, you know, and it's like at the moment we're building a uh, we're in prep to build a giant functional puppet for a stage show. We are restoring a whole bunch of different things, full costumes, head to toe, doing custom mannequins. Uh, we're doing foam carved pieces for uh, a store display on something. We've got a couple of bronze busts going. So there's just always this constant stream of little details that you've got to figure out for every one of these projects and all these different clients keep, you know, uh, excited about their own project and keep them engaged and find out what they want about everything. That's just this kind of like, go, 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 go. And then, you know, with Regal, there's always a little bit of hurry up and wait when you have a license thing. So there's you, the the rush to get it kind of prototyped and made, and then you've got to get it through approval, and then you've got to get all your like promotional and marketing stuff approved, like the website and all of that thing. And so you have like these multiple peaks, you know, and there's to me the biggest peak was when we had the the photo pieces painted our first samples come in and we paint them up and we start doing photography and you start to see everything together you know when you're talking about 10 different creatures really 12 because we've got alternate poses on two of them and you've now gone through eight or nine months of developing these things of working on them digitally working on them physically after that uh redoing several of them multiple times because you know we're insane that way researching talking with uh phil and john and dennis the you know the folks that made the scene originally uh bothering phil all the time with questions about these things as we went looking at old photos that he dug up that no one had seen in 40 years, finding out stuff in the Chronicles book, you know, noticing that most of those photos are flipped, inverted left to right. So, you know, people who had been studying those for years and working from them, well, guess what? Some of the stuff's in the wrong place now. (laughs) All that kind of stuff. It's it get little by little. You're you're developing these characters and you're kind of checking boxes off as you go and you're just like, okay, here the that you know, this guy's almost done, this guy's almost done. But then it's like, you know, you're putting the big green guy's vest on and you're making sure his belt fits and making the little leather flaps and stuff, and then you know, you kind of put him on the table with nine other figures and put some lights on it, and all of a sudden it's like, look what we did. You know, like yeah. we did that. And you just kind of like you all look at each other, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's a pretty cool feeling. But then now it's like, OK, we're putting that out there. And so most of my day today was kind of a mix of prepping the stuff to go out there for this, but then also um, putting stuff in place for another release that's, you know, coming in a couple of months, uh, two different things, actually, one, a, a character sculpt and one uh, prop replica you know lots going on i said sometimes i wonder like am i gonna have the energy to talk to jason and gabe i feel like i gotta like i gotta bring it if i'm doing blast points you can't you know this is not you don't phone this in i mean well technically okay i phone i do phone it in but i mean like i gotta i gotta come at you with something here and it's like man we we have a lot happening and it's, it's like this constant brain juggle, but it feels cool. Was this something once you actually got into it that you maybe had second thoughts about trying to attempt something with 
with 10 characters as opposed to just one. Because <laughs> that's kind of a big leap from a single maquette to 10. And that's a good way to put it because they really are like individual maquettes, each of them. And they each have, you know, all these different things. And we, so I, I was at Phil's studio, Tippett studio in, uh, I'll say this is, uh, it was when they were shooting solo. Uh, so they were doing the stop motion for solo. They were, they were gearing up to shoot that a a couple of days after I was leaving, I think. And they were prepping the puppets for that. They were going in and doing some little repairs and things like that. I was there uh, doing a restoration on uh, an old prop. Um, and uh, it was me and Pat from the studio, Patrick Louie. And we were we were there for a few days uh, working on this this prop restoration. And they, they're like, oh, we'll set you up in, in this little area over here, the workshop. And, you know, it was this big table. And on the other side of the table was Katie and I think Kevin who were working on prepping the stop motion figures for the solo shoot. I'm sitting there going like looking at what I'm doing, but like peering over the table, you know, <laughs> like, Hey, that's that big green guy from the chess game in it. You know, like, And thankfully they were like, you know, super cool and excited about what they were doing as well. And were willing to, to share and, and really, especially seeing the green guy in person the first time, uh, the Mantellian Savrip, as in Ord Mantell. Who knew? So they they just called him Mr. Big around there, which I think works great. So that's what we we always called him Mr. Big and the yellow guy Hunk, which I just love for him because <laughs> he is. He's just like this blobby, like he's a hunk. Uh, so, so, But seeing Mr. Big in person and holding him in your hand, and especially those silicone puppets with the steel armatures in them, they're really heavy, uh, and he's really big and substantial. And to, to to have that kind of in your head, and then for them to go, you know, oh, you know, there's a cabinet over there that's got the rest of them in. Go go ahead, take a look, play. You know, and you're just kind of like, mm. uh, they're like, you know how to handle this stuff. Like, luckily, yes, I do, and very luckily, they let me play. So I got to you know mess with all of them and. I fell in love with these things. I had always, I dug the chess set, but I, you know, like I think a lot of folks, I could, you know, I could draw Hunk and Mr. Big for memory, no problem. Um, I could probably sketch out two or three of the other guys pretty effectively. And then there'd be like two or three that I could kind of like, you know, I could tell you what, what they had going on, but not much, but to really start to explore them and to see just, you know, these, these wild, varied designs and then to learn about, uh, you know, the lost figures that they were bringing back for solo and, and the whole story behind that was so cool to just explore and was like, I'm slightly obsessive when it comes to star Wars stuff. Maybe you've, maybe you've heard. Um, yeah, I know. But <laughs> so like, this was just something to, to really sink my teeth into and just be like, you know, okay, I'm going to go with this. And I came back from that so excited about those figures and really jazzed to like, you know, like, okay, how do we do this? And I, you know, some people had little 3d printable files and stuff that were okay, but you know, nothing was the real deal. X plus came out with a couple of figures that luckily were scaled to the props. They were that big size, which is to me, the important thing I want it to be a replica of the prop. Um, you know, ultimately, uh, galaxy's edge did a set, but they're, you know, smaller than half the size of ours. I think they're really small, uh, but I, you know, all the, t- the while I'm just like, 
how do we do this for Regal? You know, we, we started to be able to do character stuff and replicas of puppets and props were sort of covered in that if it was a character. And so we started talking a little bit about it. And for me, if we had to approach it the way we do a maquette, uh, and, and, you know, there's different types on those. So there's like the Java maquette that we recreated from measurements and photos and things from the archives. But then there's things like the Tauntaun and the Gamorrean maquette that come from original molds. To me, that lineage, the original molds thing is really attractive in terms of what we're able to offer people. I think when we do something from scratch, it's great as well, because we're really obsessive and make sure that it looks like it's out of the original mold. But if we had to build each of these from scratch, it really would have been kind of daunting. And I'm like, to me, if we're going to do this and we're going to have to charge what we're going to have to charge on these things, and we're going to do it in the USA the way we do it, and it's going to be this really high-end premium thing, we've got to have some connection to the movie props. And that means we've either got to try and find them to scan them or we got to talk to Phil and see if he still has the digital on it and if he's willing to let us work from that. And luckily, he was on board. He teamed up with us, and, and he basically gave us access to the same exact digital files that they used to create the ones for Force Awakens and ultimately you know, Solo and Rise of Skywalker, where it showed up again, etc., and, you know, they they didn't just use them digitally. They actually output that stuff and made these beautiful silicone puppets. And what we wanted to do was now take that digital, which was all in what they call T-pose, which is this, you know, ready-to-be-molded pose, very neutral, uh, works with your seam lines, but it's not it's not great for a statue. And we now had to put them into character poses, stuff that really made sense for each of the individual designs, each of the figures, and come up with ways to make those then moldable and castable or otherwise producible to do, you know, this, the limited edition set and then the two packs that we're doing. And it, it was all, it was so, so much work to get there, but it would have been much, much more if we had to do each one completely from scratch and, and, you know, doing it this way, isn't just a head start. It's history, it's lineage, it's, you know, a connection from what you're getting in your collection to what you saw on the screen not just in the new movies, but really even in the old movies, because most of these ones in the new movies uh, were either scanned or photogrammetry or uh, whatever right off of those original puppets. So just amazing. I'm, I'm excited just now that I have a set, let alone that we're selling them. You know? Like, I'd have done it just for that. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing I think with these it seems extra special is the fact that it's something that ties – together with the original movies and the newer films, but in a way that is true to the original films. Yeah. But updated, you know, it's just, it's like there's not a lot of stuff that fits in that sweet spot between the new and the old in a way that doesn't detract from either. Like, it's it's like the perfect thing. They did such a good job with it. And I, I mean, I, I honestly think a lot of that is down to having Phil and, and Tippett Studio really run with it. Um, for Force Awakens, you know, it, and, you know, Phil, Phil talks about, so I guess, well, you guys have seen this, so we're recording this obviously, uh, ahead of time. <laughs> um, but you guys have seen the video that's going to have just debuted on our site today, Tuesday. 
And in today's news entry, along with the uh, links to the galleries, you'll see uh, a great video, I hope it's great, that is me chatting with uh, Dennis Muren and Phil Tippett and John Berg, all three of which you know, were very helpful in the process of doing this, were critical and, and crucial in the process of making the original scene, and also signed the plaques for our very, very limited edition 77-piece set that, uh, that we're doing, 77 editions or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> There's only 10 pieces, but it's 77 sets. There you go. <laughs> um, but you guys have gotten to see that. How does it feel to be the first people to have seen that? <laughs> It's so good because it's, I mean, we love every one of those guys. I mean, it's, we're huge Phil Tippett fans and the Phil Tippett content is priceless. And Dennis Muren is wonderful as always. And John Berg seems like the absolute sweetest man in the world. And, and we're, we're just suckers for anything, getting some of the, the old ILM guys together and just telling stories. I mean, that's. You know, that's it's like our catnip. That just, it's, <laughs> just we just go off into a very, very comfy, warm place when just place curl when, up onto your back and yeah, yeah. tail twitches. Yeah. I, you know, I'm I'm so right there with you. I could have talked to them for days. I could have just kept going. I, you know, I the way I think of those three in particular, and I mean, I'm very lucky to have gotten to know each of them a little bit. You know, uh, certainly, um, and, and I've gotten to spend a fair bit of time with each but um i it's like the head the gut and the heart all in one you know the thing there you've got you know dennis who's just so crisp and sharp and you know can he's but he's also funny and engaging and all of that too it's but you know that's his real you know part in this and then you know phil everything is just from the gut everything is <laughs> you know raw Un, unfiltered thought. Um, and then John is just, yeah, he's, he is all heart. He's so sweet. I'd love, you know, one, once you kind of get to know them a bit, I, I, you know, at one point I asked them each, you know, like, Oh, which ones did, uh, which ones did you sculpt? So, and, and like, it kind of starts to make sense. You know, when you when you start looking at who sculpted what in there, you can kind of go like, oh, yeah, that's that makes perfect sense. That's definitely a John or, oh, that's a Phil. So, uh, oh, here's something from the video. Did you say for the post credit scene? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, what I love is that we actually so Dennis had to leave a little early in the thing. Uh, so we kind of we, we all kind of signed on. I got John there. Dennis and I kind of ran through a couple of questions while we had him because he was, he kind of had a little bit of a heart out. We're like kind of waiting on Phil. Phil kind of comes in and uh, Dennis is on video. John is on uh, only on, on the phone. Phil comes in and kind of like conference room. It looks like security footage video. Like, you know, it's, it's the best it's yeah. The, the camera couldn't be farther from Phil Tippett and he's just, yeah, he's at the table and it's, yeah, priceless. feed priceless. up at some point. Yeah. It's so good. So he kind of, there's two people in there and they're like, hey guys, yeah, we're setting up in the conference room here for Phil. Uh, and they're just keep calling around like, has anybody found Phil? Like, he's, you know, like, where did he go? And um, it's not, you know, obviously this doesn't, isn't in the video, but he, start, he walks in and he's got his shades on, walks in and then it's like, okay, he starts, sits down and he just looks up and he's like, it's dark in here. And... <laughs> 
Dennis starts laughing. I'm laughing. And I realized I'm like, John has no context for what's happening. And now I've got to explain the joke to John. You know, through the, the, the it's like, John, I know you, you can't see this, but Phil's got his sunglasses on. Oh, okay. You know, it's like, it's just so good. Before we start getting into each monster individually, one by one by one, and, and why they're all so beautiful and wonderful. What what more do the people need to know about the Regal Robot set? If if they're curious, if they if they want to investigate more, what what are what are some more details? Go to regalrobot.com. Um and there's other brand new stuff that's kind of come out in the last couple of weeks. We've got a, a really cool pewter Mandalorian uh Mythosaur skull. It's the one from uh the armorer's uh place in the covert that that hangs over the door. Uh, it's about five inches tall, but it's like a pound and a half of pure lead-free pewter. It's it's like people's exhibit A. It just feels like you know a weapon. It's so freaking cool. Those are now finally available, uh, and an 18-inch tall version of the Mudhorn skull that we do uh, again for folks that like the Mandalorian. I know not a lot of people who watch your show, you know, like the Mandalorian, but you know, in case any of them do. Um, <laughs> And, of course, we have plenty of other Mando stuff. There's other things coming out soon. I, the, the best thing I would say is if people want to know what we do, go to our website. And on just about every page, scroll down. There's a place to sign up for an email newsletter. We don't spam people. We don't send out more than you know an email or two a week. So that's on a busy month. Usually it's like once a month. But when new stuff comes out, that's where you're going to hear about it. Or go look us up on social and find us at Regal Robot. And you can you can always follow along or even at Tom Spina Designs where cool stuff's happening. Yeah, so those sets, this is one week away from those going up for sale. Uh, we have just revealed today the first look at them, really, at the full set in you know the high-resolution photos and all of that and all of the information. So there is a limited edition, hyper, hyper limited edition, 77 sets of these 10 figure packs, uh, 10 figure sets. And that is the signature edition. And it comes with a big seven inch wide metal plaque that John, Phil and Dennis all signed as part of the people that brought this scene to life initially. And it is 10 figures, recreations of, all eight of the original monsters and the two lost monsters that were in there to begin with, but then you know got cut out of a new hope and were brought back for solo. Um, and they're all in there sort of like individual poses. And then separate from that, because we know that's going to sell out pretty quick. There's another option for folks. And what we're doing is a timed edition for these two packs. And that's your chance to get, um, two packs of the original eight. The two pack for the main two guys is actually what we were calling the body slam set. And it is Mr. Big holding hunk up over his head, the Savrip and the Strider, as it were, the Rumble and the Falcon. And it's that great, you know, like super iconic moment. It just, it's such a cool pose. Tony Cipriano did the digital on that and and took, you know, Phil's original digital from the Force Awakens ones and translated it into this really life lively pose that just feels so true to that moment from the film. Then in addition to the body slam set, there's three other sets of the the sort of onlookers from A New Hope. And those are each in in two packs and we tried to kind of like group together they're sort of grouped by like 
you know, to, to balance each other out. It's like a big one and a small one. It's a complicated one and a simpler one, that kind of thing, so that they all kind of level off uh, in terms of value and and cost of, and time for us to make each of them. Um, and so, yeah, so if you go to the site today, you'll see in the news page the, the, the debut of these that'll have links to go to the two different pages, one page for the signature set, one page for the two packs, and it'll have the link to the video uh, right on there. You can watch the whole video of um, me doing a, a crazy Zoom chat with Phil Tippett, John Berg, and Dennis Murin. I think I think you're going to have a pretty busy May the 4th there. <laughs> I suspect. <laughs> uh, the cool thing is, you know, we, we did the – so we've, you know, we've had a few things where we've put them up and they sold real fast. So like the Rancors we did, we did 83 of them and they sold out in like 36 hours. And that was why we came up with the timed edition for this. It was kind of like, look, the only way you're going to get the signature set and the individual poses for Hunk and Mr. Big and the two, you know, Scrimp and Bulbous lost guys is to get that limited set. But if that sells out quick, like we think it probably will, then you still have a chance to bring home, you know, those original Trilogy 8. It's going to be from May the 4th through June 18th. It's going to be a 45-day window. Basically, anybody who orders those sets in that 45 days, you're going to get them, and we're going to cap the edition based on those sales. So if 50 people buy the Body Slam set, that's going to be an addition of 50. If 100 people buy one of those other two packs with names that are challenging to say, then you know that's what that'll be. And we'll just kind of uh, take it from there, and, and hopefully... That gives folks at least something else to work with, so that we're not um, we're not leaving too many people, you know, high and dry on this. I know those those limited editions are always tough to get. Uh, now there's going to be another way to do this, and I, I really I'm excited to try this. This is the first time we're doing a timed edition like that, and I think it's a real neat way to do it. I think it gives a lot of people a chance at stuff that maybe would have just sold really quick otherwise. And um, yeah, I'm excited. I'm, you know me. I'm just always excited to make this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is like your normal excitement level times 10. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? What are you talking about? <laughs> Which is saying something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> stop motion work you really want to as much as possible be cut off from like any distractions because you're just trying to remember momentums and moving like 20 things at the same time and this is going forward this going back so you're really concentrating really hard but in the next room right over there they were having the rap party <laughs> so <it was laughs> going on that's you know i remember we just had like trying to you know so if there are any like pops and it was like we were, hey could you guys keep them quiet <laughs> wondering what, what you think about this time the, the, the hollow chess table it's been this iconic moment of start like it keeps coming up like it's like we said it's been in it was in force awakens it was in 
the the rise of Skywalker. It was in Solo. It was in Rogue One, which I forgot, but it's not a hologram. It's actually like creatures, and it, it was in Clone Wars, and it was in Rebels, and yeah. Why? Do, why? In your opinion, why? What's the reason that you know, forty plus years later, the Holochess is still so fascinating and appealing and we you know whenever it comes up in this new stuff it's always like oh yeah i love that so much look at that i you know it's so distinctly star wars it's almost like a cantina sequence you know how many movies have done that since then how many star wars movies have have gone back to some bar full of monsters you know i mean right right off the bat with return of the jedi and then you know straight on through um those are those are elements that are foundational when it comes to Star Wars. And I don't know, you know, I, I think there's, you know, is it just like kind of a ground floor thing that if it's if it's a fun moment from the first film in the series, it's going to be something that gets echoed. You know, what's the the old George Lucas quotes? Poetry. It rhymes, you know, Um <laughs> Like, I think there's something to that. I think it is neat that it it, uh, it doesn't really appear in George's sequels and that he seemed more adventurous and more interested in treading new ground uh, than necessarily retreading stuff. Um, not that I'm complaining because I, I think it's really, you know, I think there's a lot of room for a bit of both. But I, I think it's just that. And then in terms of, you know, just how and why it endures in general beyond the fact that it was part of that first film. I I think a lot of that is down to the characters and the animation and just the work that Phil and John did dreaming these guys up and, and animating them. And, you know, the, the idea that George had that, you know, the one guy hops out and the other guy picks him up and throws him on the ground. (laughs) Like that Genesis of, I mean, you could apply this to anything. You could apply this to Star Wars as a whole. You know, it's like, why does this still resonate? Why does this still, is this so strong out there in the world, in the universe? It's all just down to this amazing nexus that happened in, you know, 75, 76, 77, as you had these incredible talents ranging from uh, elder statesmen to young hotshot pilots, you know, all converging, all creating something new. And it's just, it's like a once in a lifetime thing. It's it's like you can't, it's lightning in a bottle. And I think I, I, that's why I think the chess thing uh, perseveres. I think it is, it's that it's a, it's that lightning in a bottle. It's it's Dennis, it's John, it's Phil, it's George. It's the timing of it all. It's that it happens at a fun moment in the movie where, you know, you've you've got a chance to catch your breath, you know? And and now it, you know, it's 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 not it's not core to the story, you know? Um it's just world building and and I'm I've wandered way off to the side of uh, of the question, but that's, no. that's, that's my, uh, that's my, my mental meandering on that. That's thought. It's those little things that have nothing to do with the story that make 
the the world so unique and so real. I, I know Gabe and I have talked about that a lot where I think that's part of the, the whole appeal why Galaxy's Edge works the way it does, where you want to go there because you this this world is real, right? Why would it not be real if there's all these little things that don't make any sense in there? <laughs> and there's no you know, there's no called out story for them. You know, like if this were a modern movie, they would have to say, uh, you know, it's like, what are they doing over there? Oh, they're playing Dejaric. And that's a game where the Mantellian Savrip can blah, 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 blah. You know, and uh, it's like, no, you don't explain it. It's just because you don't explain life. You know, (laughs) that's just life happening. And so that, to me, I think is part of the magic of especially the first movie. There's so much that just happens in the background, you know. Or, or Empire with Carl the Ugnaught, you know, one weird human Ugnaught. Uh, yeah. I, you know, nobody calls it out. Nobody nobody even says, you know, nobody says the name, the word Ugnaught. Nobody talks about what those guys are doing. That's just their job. They're just there. They show up. They do their thing. And they tr- it's like treated like a documentary. You know, <laughs> like you're just, you're capturing what's happening, not trying to tell everybody every part of every story. And I, I like I love that. I love that they let us, you know, just experience the world that this this film is taking place in rather than trying to tell us too much about it. It just feels so nerdy when people start using names for things. You, you definitely see this in a lot of modern sci-fi type stuff. You know, it's like no, nobody ever needs to know the name of a blaster. And nobody would ever say that in, a, in the middle of a battle. It's just, you know. Hand me a blaster. Like, that's it. Nobody would, you know, uh, go through that kind of detail. And I think, like, that's why that first Star Wars feels so real. I think for the longest time, I thought the chess scene was a real thing, too. Like, of all the fantastical stuff in the original movie, that scene, for whatever reason, maybe because it's so brief and just kind of happens matter-of-factly, I thought they really had hologram chess. Like when I was a kid, like it didn't seem like a special effect, like right. plausible. It's, it's very plausible. Yeah. Cause I think it's the mixture of the stop motion and the way it's blended into the scene. It's like, Oh yeah, it's just a hologram machine. They have those. Right. <laughs> well, and uh, Oh man. I mean, you know, I don't want to, I, I want to encourage folks to go check out the video with, with Phil and John and Dennis uh, talking about the scene, but there's some stuff I I thought I was such hot shit. I was like, okay, I'm going to ask Dennis, you know, in the pre-digital age, how complicated was blending those shots in and lining it all up? Because in my head, I'm like, this is going to be, you know, that's tough. Let, let me hear the story behind this. Dennis's answer surprised me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's class. It's classic Dennis yeah. Mirren. Yeah. 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 <laughs> One of the best parts of the video. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, there, there were a few of those. So the, the, the original footage goes on for a very long time. Um, and, and so Dennis had to bail at one point and then, uh, me and John and, uh, Phil talked for a long time. And even Dennis got in on, uh, before he left the, there's a ton in there about, um, Phil Kellison and, and Cascade, which was this sort of commercial effects house that they all met at and worked at, uh, Phil being a mentor to them. And there's, there's some great stuff where, where John's talking about just kind of, you know, in, in that very heartfelt John way, talking about how proud he is that that Phil is at now Phil Tippett is now doing what Phil Kellison did for them when they were kids and is you know 
bringing the new artists in and, and, you know, giving them all this inspiration and, uh, education and, and, you know, imparting to them the knowledge that they've built up over these years and, 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 and how much that means to him. Um, and, and I, you know, man, it's just so cool to hear this stuff. And, and there's, there's some stuff in there about the chess set, you know, cause, cause Phil had younger guys that worked for him doing the animation on, uh, the new movie stuff. And Phil just kind of directed on that. But he talks about and he says it's preposterous, but I think it's anything but um, he literally says, like, it's probably preposterous. And I'm like, no, it's not in my mind. I'm like, this is so spot on. But he's like, it's like the old gunslingers, you know, handing the, the handing the guns off to the new hotshot guys. It's it's uh, it's so true. And he and the way he tells it is so Phil. <laughs> and I I just I think that aspect of it is really cool. At some point, I really probably do have to put together like the, the 90 minute podcast version of that talk with just all that other stuff in there, because hearing their history together, the three of them and just the way they interact and stuff, it's oh, it's 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 so great. I, like I said, for days, I could just sit and listen to those guys. Well, it is really cool with the conversation that you were able to get all three of them at the same time for the most part, because it, it's very d- different hearing, you know, the story from one person's perspective at one time and another person's perspective at the other time, but getting to to hear their interactions and back and forth kind of as they're remembering it just makes it even that much more special. Yeah, thanks. And I, I think that was the goal there was like, okay, they can kind of spur each other on, on a little bit. And they also, you know, these are three guys that have a friendship forged in fire. You know, this is, uh, you know, making a movie is making, is, is like going to war, they say, right? So these are guys who've gone to war together, not to be little actual going to war, but they, they, you know, these are guys that have, worked all through the night together and come home and crashed and probably, you know, they've, they've, they've covered every topic. Nothing is sacred with these guys. They could, they could talk together. Like if you just put the three of them in a room and left, you come back a week later, they'd probably still be going because, and they all have the same core interests, the same core things that sparked them into doing this stuff, the same people inspired them. You know, there's, there's tons of stuff we talked about with just Ray Harryhausen, of course, and Obi and, and, you know, King Kong and Mighty Joe Young and, you know, all the great Sinbad stuff, the Cyclops, the dragon, etc. I mean, even Dennis had a, a little, this is not in there, but he had this, this little sculpture he made of the Emir wrestling with the beast from 20,000 fathoms, you know, this is stuff that, uh, I, I feel lucky that I got into all of that stuff at the road at, at when I was younger so that I'm kind of steeped in all of this stuff. And I can kind of like, I can carry that conversation and I can be awed by the same things. And so like, I know when they, when they start talking about this stuff, I'm like, I, like, I, I felt that same inspiration. I know what that does and what that, what that draw is. And it's just, it, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, really, really cool to me to, to listen to these guys talking and, and just that 
core, deep, deep connection that these guys have, all of those old IOM guys, but especially these three, um, it's magic. And it's so great to just get them together and talking on this. And, and I, I just feel lucky to have been able to do it. So it's it's mentioned in the Chronicles book, and it, it's in a couple other places. But I'm wondering if if you've heard anything more about this time that originally George Lucas planned to use little people in costumes for the hollow chess board, and that got kind of nixed by the fact that the rarely talked about, maybe for a good reason, sequel to Westworld, Future World in 1976 did that. Before Star Wars came out, every time I've heard it, I've heard the exact same thing, uh, you know, from from uh, Phil and John specifically. Uh, I believe Dennis has even told that story. You know, this was was among the last things shot for Star Wars. Um, we, we actually found some some uh, footage where they show the slates and. You know, this is February of 77, three months basically from the movie going into theaters. It's it's a little crazy to me to, to picture doing it that late in the, the production. But, you know, they were shooting the cantina stuff. Uh, I believe it was late January. So, I mean, it would make sense. The idea, the, the story was always that George came through while um, Phil and John were uh, part of uh, Rick Baker's crew making stuff for the, the reshoots of the cantina, saw stuff on a shelf that Phil had brought in with him. Some of the stuff, there, there's some pictures of this in Phil's scrapbooks, but there's there's some things that he sculpted that were initially intended to be like potential cantina aliens, but they were just too crazy or too out of budget. They'd be too complicated to make. And they wound up just pushing for really more rubber masks other than, you know, hammerhead and, and muff tack and maybe the snake puppet thing guy. But George saw Mr. Big on the shelf. And, uh, that was actually something he made before star Wars. Uh, he had made it when he was 17. Originally, he made a metal armature, stop motion armature himself, at 17, um, just to make us feel bad, I guess. Um, and then he made a character over it that he wound up using in a, a, a little test footage type stuff he was doing as a student. Then he, as stop motion animators often do, uh, cut that puppet open, took the armature out of it and sculpted a, a better new character to put over it. That new character then became the, the dude from Star Wars. And that was just on a shelf in the room with the other stuff that, that Phil had there and George saw it. And that was the spark of like, oh, well, hey, you know, Future World just did this thing. Maybe we can do this with stop motion. That guy's pretty cool. That was uh, that was the spark of it. So George and um, uh, George hired John and Phil to uh, to do that. And, and uh Dennis apparently had a hand in that too. Apparently, I, I guess Dennis pointed George in the direction of stop motion for that, and specifically John and Phil. And I guess that's, I, you know, I'll have to, I'd have to ask them more specifically, like what that path was. You know, was it Dennis sent George to the, to you know, oh check with these guys on the next Cantina review, and then he saw that, or if it was something more specific. But um, uh, John and, and Phil both credit Dennis with really making that happen. So we have him to thank. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, that was that was that start, and then it was 
you know, two weeks, I think they said they made all the rest of the characters, which is crazy, but not, you know, it's the film industry. So it's kind of uh, these days, two weeks might sound like a luxury. And, uh, and yeah, and then it was just, you know, go, go, go. They made the figures, they shot the thing in a couple of days. Uh, I think it was like, I think they made it sound like it was three or four nights. And then, um, and then that was it. Then it was, you know, Dennis <laughs> lined everything up, <laughs> shot it all while they were, they did the animation. And then it was just down to compositing and, and cutting it into the film. good introduction i think we should start going monster by monster let's give a quick let's let's run down these guys and talk about why they're so awesome and i'm gonna go let's go in chronicles book order okay so everybody at i I assume everyone listening has the star wars chronicles book right open and in front of them yeah ready to go i would imagine if if they're listening to us they probably have it open and in front of them. <laughs> so, let's let's start with uh, with monster number one, who's got the wonderful name of Guch. Is what is what what's going on there with that? Um, is, is that the the bug looking guy? Yeah. Okay. So, uh, and I, I apologize. I really should know all these names by now. Uh, so Guch, <laughs> as you so uh, politely said, Phil's guys called him Mister Green. Much like when you talk cantina with any of the people that worked on the movies, you know, to hear Phil or John talk about any of the characters, there's always guy at the end of it. So usually it's like, oh, yeah, there was the green guy who picked up the yellow guy and threw him on the ground, you know, (laughs) like that kind of thing. But so Phil's team had their own kind of nicknames for him when they were doing Force Awakens. And that we've sort of adopted that because they're all kind of cool. Um, so so Mr. Green, as he was called, kind of bug looking guy. That was one of the ones that is missing. So, you know, right now the, the whereabouts are known out of an uh, eight of the ten characters that were in the movie or rather eight of the ten that were made with the two, uh, obviously the, the two lost quote unquote characters. But so Mr. Green, that one's, uh, long lost. Um, it's amazing that eight out of the 10 still exists. That to me is, is unbelievable with old movie prop stuff. Like so many times these things are just discarded or, or who knows what. And so Phil's guys went through and using photos that, uh, Phil had and things in the Lucasfilm archives, they were, uh, they did a digital recreation of him. And what we did was we took that and we dialed it in a little more. I had some photos that Phil gave me years ago that were not among the sort of scrapbook photos that those guys were going from. And, uh, I also found some additional stuff in Lucasfilm archives. And then we went through and dialed in, you know, even tighter. There's some weird asymmetry going on with his antenna, uh, in a new hope that, that was kind of balanced out for force awakens that we, we kind of brought back in. We touched, touched on his scaling just a little bit, a few percentage down from the force awakens one, because it's uh, ever so slightly over. We thought from a uh, new hope from our scaling that we were able to do. And, um, but otherwise, 
you know, the, the digital stuff that Phil's guys did was so good on that and really, really faithful to that original stuff. So it was, it was minor, minor tweaks on him. All right. Next number two in the Chronicles book is the color slug. Uh-huh. <laughs> it, is, it is superfluous apostrophe. <laughs> Is this the beginning of Star Wars names with apostrophes, like Jacoris Dabuthan, you know? Oh, gosh. I, I wonder if I, – I, no, I think that started in 87 with West End Games and with – I'm sure there was some of that in, in you know, the Thrawn trilogy and all of that. The Chlorslug's really cool. He's much bigger than you think. Uh, if you stretch him out, he's like, you know, over a foot long. He's like, so it's like I don't know, 15 inches or something. Um, the The puppet – that they made for the new movies is awesome. Uh, it's all silicone. All of his individual little legs move and stuff like that. And, uh, and yeah, we, for our replica, we, the, the digital fills team did on it was great. They got to scan, uh, and do photogrammetry of the prop that's in the archives. The original, uh, puppets still exist. And we were able to take that and just put them in a really cool pose for ours. We, we really wanted to capture that sort of like, crazy S curve with a, a real kind of like tilted in neck. And, uh, like he just saw something he doesn't believe, you know, it's like, what a body slam. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Is there any connection between the, uh, worm slug cantina alien and this chess guy? There is a connection. You know what? And let's, so let's go back to, uh, geek for a minute here. And, uh, so it's a G with three H's and a K. I don't know how else to say it. Um, so Phil designed uh, Mr. Green there, um, and Phil also designed the worm guy here, the uh, the color slug, and Phil designed the big, blood-dripping, crazy, spike-headed puppet thing uh, that, you know, sits across from the Wolfman. So, um, yeah, there's definitely a connection there, and the connection is Phil. <laughs> um, and I, I always, in my head canon. This is what the other guy looks like if you saw the rest of his body, you know, and and this is a representation of him. I know in actual canon it's it's not. But I always thought, you know, even even, you know, as a kid, I was like, that's OK. So that must be what the rest of him looks like, because that's clearly the same guy, you know. <laughs> so our next beautiful monster, the Kintan Strider, a.k.a. Hunk. He's he's a superstar. But let's talk about him. So uh, that's a John Berg character. John uh, has a, a way of talking about the stuff he does. He, he, he talks a lot about how his design inspiration is, you know, steeped in Tex Avery and um, Warner Brothers cartoons and stuff. I feel like his stuff to me always feels a little chubbier, a little more character to it. Um, and Phil's stuff is always a little creepier. So as we go, if you guys want to, if you guys want to guess if it's a John or a Phil after this, let's, I'll, <laughs> let's do that on the next one. So hunk is a John and, uh, that's, it's all build up and couch foam and it's over a wire armature. It's not even a, a crazy mechanical armature and the animation they got out of him for, for just a twisted wire armature is really, really good. And, and yeah, he's just fun. He, and, and like, 
it's weird. Like hunk is a strange name for him, but when you hold him in your hand, especially like the full size puppet size one, it's just like, oh yeah, that's a hunk. Especially when you when he's silicone like those puppets are. Ours, he's going to be resin, and he'll also be a hunk. He'll be a handful. And he's got, I mean, he's one of two that comes with a weapon, um, which is kind of neat. I always liked that that variation. You know, some of these are just creatures. Some of them are are beastly. Some of them have weapons. Some of them wear clothes. Like it's really random. But so yeah, uh, Hunk's got his big hammer. His hammer differs from Force Awakens to A New Hope. Um, and our set includes the A New Hope style hammer because that's we we tried to everything that we did on ours we tried to rack back to the A New Hope look wherever we could. That was our default for everything. All right, next in the list of monsters is number four. Another very smooth name, Nagok. 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 Is the N silent? I don't know. So uh, he went by the name Star. Uh, at least for Phil's guys, the modern, uh, behind the scenes. Um, what's interesting is if you take his appendages and splay them all out, his legs, his tail and his arms, uh, you get kind of a starfish sort of look. So that's, uh, and that's, that's how they would have had to have done him to mold him. So that was my guess as to where that name comes from. So he's a tricky one. Yeah. Who would you guess made him? He, he's got claws and pointy things, so I'm going to say Phil Tippett. My first reaction was Phil, but he does have like a smooth body, so I, I'm going to say John. Gabe is correct. He is he is a John. Um, wow. And what's interesting is there's shots of him very, very close to filming, like on the table, where uh, he looks like he's got a smoother, darker brown kind of coloration all over. And it might be one of those ones where I'll have to ask John about this specifically, but just going from the photos, it looks like he was laid out on the table with everybody and they were just kind of like, Hey, he's not catching the light enough. And they threw a, a dry brush over top of that kind of beigey color. And, and, um, and there's, there's sort of another color that goes on over that, that, you know, just to, to kind of give him a little bit more presence. He's crazy though. Like there's tons of little teeth on his hands. He's got oozing like green goo coming off of him everywhere. The original puppet for him still exists and was laser scanned by Peter Jackson for Phil for when they did theirs. And so we had that, uh, that recreation made off of that scan. Um, and, and what's cool is the, it, we had really good photos of it as well. Um, which was outstanding. And, and it's really neat to go back and look at the scan and to be able to see like stuff that was captured that was maybe either deterioration of the foam or just a weird, you know, kind of posing kind of thing versus actual details and, and going through and just dialing in some of, some of that. And with us, uh, here's a neat thing in the, a new hope era, his tail curves under and in the, Force Awakens and beyond, his tail is always flapped out like a, a kind of like a whale tail or a, a um, like a mermaid tail almost. Um, but in the first movie, his tail curls under and he kind of sits on it. Yeah, I'm looking at the picture in the Chronicles book and his tail is under. Yep. So that's yeah, that's that's how you can always pick out if that's a modern picture or an old one. <laughs> well, our next monster is the beautiful the the Hugix. It's like a little a little demon dog with like two legs on each side with like 
two feet coming off each of the legs, right? All right. John or Phil? I'm in a Phil Tippett kind of mood, so I'm saying Phil because he's got, again, sharp teeth, and he's got a spiky tail. <laughs> mm, I'm going to go, yeah, I'm going to go with Phil on this one, too. <laughs> that one's John. And so, to me, I see the, the, the mass of the body and, you know, just some of the overall sort of uh, finish style and stuff feels pretty John. And there's, I, there is something uh, Tim Burton-ish about mm, yeah. his face. Um, the, the, there's something a little bit, you know, I, I don't know. And especially there's certain angles where his, his face just catches and it's like, oh man, he could be like wandering around the back of like Nightmare Before Christmas or something. But yeah, so Crouch is what Phil's guys called him. You know, just another awesome one. He still exists. He's at the Lucasfilm archives. They were able to do their photogrammetry and stuff like that and get digital scans of it and to be able to, you know, recreate that digitally. The, the Tippet recreation on him, uh, the, the one that their studio did was essentially perfect. We, you know, we worked on on posing for him and some other stuff and some breakdown for to be able to like mold and cast his and capture those teeth and things like that. But other than that, that was one that really came to us and, and you know, pr- pretty much ready to go other than that. He was all splayed out to be molded. <laughs> well, next in the list is number six Monarch or Monarch. Yeah. I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. The staff guy, the guy with the guy with the staff, the staff guy. I keep saying Phil Tippett, and that's just the way it goes. I always just say Phil Tippett, and uh, it's like I'm, the equivalent of putting C on your your SATs. C <laughs> C C C. See, that was that that was the problem. I I just wrote in for like for the write in answer. I would just write in Phil Tippett all the time. That's just my that's my go to Phil. That's my go to answer for everything. What do you want for dinner, Phil Tippett? That's weird. Whose whose name is the biggest on the Declaration of Independence, Phil Tippett? <laughs> uh, I'm saying it's a Phil one, Gabe. He, I don't think he has a face, so that makes me think it's a Phil one. That's a great call out. He he has a tongue, but he doesn't really have a face per se. He has closed loop rings instead of a face, which, by the way, are impossible to mold. So we're we're doing something very different with the way we're producing him and the alligator hands guy. But uh, I'm very excited about the way that's working out, too. But, um, yes, that is a Phil Tippett uh, original. The cool thing about him, so he was the one that we dis- that led us to discover that most of the images in the uh, Chronicles are both hypersaturated in color and also flipped X, Y, uh, left to right. So he has more bones in one of his arms than the other. And so one of one of his arms has two elbows and one of them has one, which is crazy, uh, but really cool. And so I've actually seen recreations of them done where they did it based on the Chronicles picks, but nobody realized that those were not correctly flipped. So uh, he's got the three on the wrong arm or you'll see where they give him three bones on each arm because they figure, well, nobody would do two different numbers of elbows. It's funny. One of the things I learned working out of the Chronicles decades ago making Cantina Monsters was the color change. A lot of the photos in that book are hyper, hyper saturated. Um, And this is one of those guys. When you look at him in A New Hope, he looks like he's made out of like ivory. 
with just a little bit of pink on his elbows and things like that. You look at him in the Chronicles and he's just, you know, peachy. <laughs> um, he's very, very saturated. And the real puppet was a lot less. Um, so our replica pushes more towards that ivory look. We really want that stoic kind of guard captured, pulling his staff up and about to strike down with it. The pose on him is pretty fixed. He was actually made out of Sculpey um, and was not uh, posable. Like, <laughs> so when uh, Phil was handling those bad guys, he really, if you look carefully, he doesn't move in the shot. But yeah, he was one of the ones that um, him and the green and Mr. Green, the um, the bug guy, those were the two that no one knows where they are. And so they weren't able to scan those. Um, and Phil's guys did a really good job with him. And then we went in and we just found a few things again, going through those old pictures Phil had and finding stuff that uh, he's got some stuff going on on his back that isn't there in the Chronicles pictures, but had been before. So uh, the, the picture in the Chronicles we discovered was taken probably at Cascade in 78 um, because they did a whole photo shoot of all of the monsters with Phil and John. And then randomly in them, you would see like Mrs. Butterworth and the Pillsbury Doughboy and like other stuff they were shooting at Cascade. They like just put them in the shots. Um, and those pictures were dated 78. So we were able to say like, okay, this is sometime after. Um, and maybe that's why his color's a little more saturated. Maybe they repainted him. Who knows? But he's clearly had a couple of little things break off on his back. There were some changes to his sort of ponytails that we did, uh, to be more faithful to the new hope version and his heels on the, uh, force awakens ones were a little different. Uh, he's got these weird sort of like do claw things coming off the backs of his, his ankles that are real weird. But, uh, but yeah, um, very, very, uh, pleased with where ours wound up and how how really really true to the new hope one we were able to get with it again starting with that foundation that phil's guys did we're moving on to to monster number seven the beautiful grimtash aka molotar which is what they made us call him i like grimtash better sounds like a dinobot (laughs) grimtash sad you know (laughs) like just uh, okay, Phil or John? Uh, I'm saying I'm going to break the mold here. I'm going to say this is a John Berg. It's got kind of a, a, a cartoonish Looney Tunes kind of look to him. I'll say Phil just so Phil at least gets a vote. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> oh, Jason, you fool. I'm... <laughs> You're terrible at this. No, it, it is another <laughs> Phil. I, uh, um, I I agree that his head is is John Bergish. Um, I actually think there's the, his eye sockets, those stretched eye sockets to me, remind me of the Beetlejuice, you know, where, where they stretch their faces out. The, there's something in the shape of those eyes that look like when like Gina Davis's face, when she stretches her whole face out and does that little like stop motion thing. But yeah, I mean, he's a combination elephant, ant, and like gorilla. I don't know. (laughs) It's just. Really crazy and segmented and and just cool. I, I there's extra footage of uh, stuff. So there's it was it was on one of the DVDs. Uh, they have Phil talking about the sequence, and uh, they actually showed some of the footage they shot that didn't even make the film. So there's there's a, a shot of the chlor slug kind of like popping up into frame and looking around. 
again, like, oh, what's happening? Um, and then there's a shot of the uh, Violet, as they called him during the modern shoots, but uh, Molotar or Grimtosh uh, swiping at the spear guy, um, which is pretty cool. All right, next up is number eight, and it's uh, one we talked about a little bit, the old Mantellian Savrip himself, Mr. Big. So everybody already knows who made him. He's just awesome, and he's he's Mr. Big for a reason. He's the biggest one out of the bunch. The purple elephant guy is actually probably a close second. Um, he's he's scrawnier, but he's 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 pretty uh, pretty substantial. He's uh, the cool things that we kind of got into with him. You know, he's got hairs on the backs of his head, and he's got hairs in his armpits, which I think is awesome. He the the thing that we did differently from the Force Awakens one on him was pure the the sculpt that they did on that i mean they they were able to scan the puppet in the archives on him um so they were really really faithful to that we didn't have to do any kind of like tweaking sculpt wise on him uh we did uh swap out so in the archives when they wrapped star wars john and phil gave george a platter with four of the monsters on it it's a really cool little setup that's in the Chronicles, I think, where the snake is kind of curled up on one side and Hunk is being held in the air and, and uh, Mr. Big is looking down at Crouch and all that stuff. They were able to get that. They were also able to, like, pattern the shirt off of the original. They were able to measure the belt and all of that. Um, but for some reason, between Star Wars and 1978, which is where those photos come from in the Chronicles, his shoes is like sandals or whatever uh were swapped out from actual fabric straps to string straps and so when they went to do the stuff for force awakens they copied the string straps that are in the archives and when we went back and looked at the movie to go okay what color were the strings back in the new hope we go like wait a minute those aren't strings at all <laughs> there are these like fabric frayed fabric straps so we had to go back and kind of figure out where those all fit and where they went. And we found them in Phil's old scrapbooks. We found great pictures of them. We were able to kind of go like, okay, this is, this one comes out because they're, of course, they're completely asymmetrical. They come out of different points on the, on the shoe. Like there's no rhyme or reason to it. It's just like, this is cool. Let's just do this. And so we were able to do that. The shirt on him is the coolest thing though. His shirt has this pebbly texture to it. I asked Phil, I'm like, you know, where, what kind of fabric do you use on that sort of stuff? And he says, oh, what we do is we mold a lizard and then you would just run latex into it, like brush it in so you could have like a thin latex skin to use to make your, your you know, as your fabric, basically. For Force Awakens, he had Katie at the shop, had her take this taxidermy lizard that he had and <laughs> paint silicone onto it to make a mold of the lizard. And, and then, you know, that's how they made the shirts for the new movies is off of this lizard mold. So I asked Phil, I'm like, you know, do you still have the mold? And he goes, I don't think I have the mold, but I have the lizard. Do you want to borrow it? <laughs> <laughs> now, when Phil Tippett asks you, if you want to borrow his lizard, you say, Yes. <laughs> but luckily, he actually found the mold in the meantime. I think Katie knew where it was. Uh, and we wound up sending us that original mold along with a paper pattern they had taken of the shirt. So we had that to work with, which all of this. I mean, this is this is the stuff that is, you know, kind of even above and beyond when we're talking about this stuff. You know, like, I mean, 
they could have just said like, ah, figure it out, <laughs> you know, but here they are digging up molds for us, sending us patterns. I mean, like could not have been more of a help for, for us making what we're doing here. And so, uh, what we were able to do was actually make a casting out of that silicone lizard mold. We did some, some paint effects on it to make the details pop. We did a photo of it and turn that into a digital pattern to apply a, a, like an alpha in, in uh, ZBrush to add the texture to a digital shirt um, because the poses that he was in, we wanted to make sure that all of the shirts in the edition had the right wrinkles and all fit and you know everything wasn't uh, didn't look like doll clothing. What we did is we basically digitally made a shirt that was wrinkled and then we were able to print molds by you know flipping those out and printing negative molds rather than printing parts um and we're able to cast in latex uh, not latex in this case neoprene which holds up better over time but in rubber actual shirts and then from there we add the leather bits to it we add the belt to it etc um but you know even within the digital world we're still using the practical elements that phil used to recreate this stuff which is just um, I, I love that kind of detail and to bring that into it. That's really cool. Well, and now you see why it takes nine months <laughs> to make these things. <laughs> and it fits in wonderfully with the 13 month anniversary of our classic star Wars feet episode with Mr. Big and his shoes. So we could have, we, we could definitely, uh, we'll do a little, uh, a little drop in a little mini episode about Mr. Big's straps. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it also seems like now thinking about this that in the in the world of Dejaric games, the winner gets clothes. It's like <laughs> Yes. <laughs> you, you can tell who the champion is because they're actually dressed. <laughs> uh, well, well and we so we can't forget the two lost figures. Scrimp, scrimp and bulbous. <laughs> the beautiful scrimp and bulbous. So Tom, what can you tell us about Scrimp and his his best friend Bulbous? Scrimp is, for starters, Scrimp is the most aptly named out of all of these guys. You just look at him and you're like, yep, that's Scrimp. <laughs> you know? So Scrimp was made by Phil. Bulbous was John. When you see him side by side, you're like, yep, that makes sense. The original puppets still exist. And Dennis had held on to them all these years. And they had given them to Dennis after the shoot as, as a thanks for, for getting them the job, which I always love. I, you know, effects guys do that a lot where they just kind of gift each other like art. And I think that's the coolest freaking thing in the world. But, you know, Dennis, Dennis had held on to these guys and he, uh, they, they brought them out for solo and it was Phil said, you know, they had suggested to Ron Howard, like, you know, these guys got cut from the movie. What if we put them in the movie and then when Chewie pounds on the table, we'll have him blink out as if he broke the table. And that's why, you know, these things aren't in the movie in Star Wars, which is just brilliant. <laughs> it's the perfect kind of Easter egg because it's it's self-contained, <laughs> you know, um, and it explains something that you never even knew needed explaining. But it's so cool because it's one of these things when you go back, there is a picture of Phil in a Cinefantastique uh, magazine that I've had forever that has him standing or, or, you know, like sitting behind all of the monsters. And I never noticed Grimp and Bulbous in there. And then to go back and look 
with a keen eye for it, you're like, well, crap, there they are, you know? Um, and if people go to our website, go to regalrobot.com, go to the news section, there's a, a thing called the lost chess pieces, uh, that has a little bit of this history. There's some quotes from Phil and, uh, and it has that photo I'm talking about. And in the photo, I've kind of gone in and highlighted where the two of them are hiding in plain sight. But, uh, you know, the story is they made all 10 of them. They brought them to set. They put them on the table. They laid it out. George came over and he said, it's too crowded. Let's get rid of two of them. And they got rid of those two. And there's shots. There's a great photo on our on our site in that blog entry of, of John sitting there with all of the pieces on the table, including scrimp and bulb. Um, so if you go and watch Solo, they both show up. The Solo versions are a little different. They're painted a little more over the top. Um, we went very, very classic with ours. And uh, the only real tweak we had to make was scrimp. For some reason, when Phil's guys did the one for Solo, they had his feet symmetrical. Um, but Dennis got us a whole bunch of additional photos, and we were able to see he's actually got like a lobster claw for one of his feet. Um, <laughs> and so we made sure to have that because that's like crazy. So we had to put that into ours. And so uh, ours is very much the 77 version uh, rather than specifically the solo version. It's incredible. There's another one for Star Wars feet, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) So, Tom, I think you're going to have like a Queen's Gambit moment where you're going to be laying in bed, looking up at the ceiling, and you're just going to see the holochess monsters all like fighting each other and Mr. Big picking up Hunk and Scrimp and Bulbous are going to look down at you in your bed and wink at you or something. Right. (laughs) I mean... I, I'd be lying if I said that hasn't been pretty much every night for the last nine months. <laughs> Just you, you literally never put this kind of stuff down. When you work in this industry, when you're doing the type of stuff we're doing, you live, eat, breathe, sleep this stuff. And, and I mean, it really isn't that far off. There's, so many nights where I'll like kind of you wake up at three thirty and you just kind of go like, what if we print the mold, you know, or whatever, <laughs> and you, you know, or you some little detail jumps out and you're like, oh shoot, we we printed them, but I forgot to set it two and a half percent smaller, like I was gonna, you know, you come out and you sleepily make a note, and you know the next morning you just see like minus two point five, and you're going like what, you know, <laughs> but yeah, yeah stacks and stacks of little paper notes and and obsession so much obsession but this is this is what we live for yeah you're you're living the dream tom and you know we we love what you and your team does so much and yeah we 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 love sharing it with people and yeah it's you you live in the dream, and it 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 brings us so much joy too. Well, and you're not only living the dream; you're manufacturing the dream so other people can join in on the dream, which is even better, right? That's that's like borderline Kermit from from the Muppet movie, you know. <laughs> like, that's the kind of dream that gets better the more people you share it with, you know. Like, that's it, though. You know, it is that that does make it cool. The my one of my absolute favorite things in the world is we have tons of people who buy our stuff now who send us photos of like our stuff in their collection or like here's the tauntaun you made me with my dog you know like i freaking <laughs> love that like it's like that's the kind of stuff that uh, really does make it all worthwhile i love 
seeing our things just become a part of people's lives and uh, that's crazy it's pretty cool The Empire Strikes Back collection, it's Millennium Falcon that you put together. Batteries not included. Nice landing, Han Solo. Uh-oh, come on, Chewbacca. Stormtroopers are coming. Action figures each sold separately. Got them on radar. I'll fire the laser cannon. There's even a hidden storage hatch. Ready for takeoff. Jump to light speed. We're gone. On to the Death Star. Millennium Falcon from Kenner's Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back collection. Action figures each sold separately. And these last points, too accurate for sand people. Only Imperial stormtroopers are so precise. deal with uh, Apple Podcast reviews. Uh, when you get done listening to this, go over, leave a nice little review on there if you listen on some sort of Apple something or other, and we will read your review on an upcoming episode. And we love your reviews. And it helps the show in ways we don't understand how it works. And make sure you check out our website, blastpointspodcast.com and make sure you're following us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you're on Facebook, make sure you're a member of our Super Chill group. And I, I will second that. The chill group is where it's at. You got to be there. Um, and, and if you're looking for me, um, just uh, wait till you hear the Cantina Band theme <laughs> number two playing on, on uh, Jason's phone. And <laughs> that's when I'll appear. Uh, or you can look me up on uh, social media at Tom Spina Designs or at Regal Robot. And please go to RegalRobot.com and check out the, the news page for all the latest stuff. Sign up for that email list. I, I Again, we're not going to spam anybody. We're going to send you whenever we make cool things. And like that's a great thing to have in your inbox, I think. Um, and the, if you're interested in these chess sets, they're coming out on May the 4th. Uh, it will be a limited set for the signature, and it will be a limited time for those two packs. So if it is something you want, if you see it, if it's available, please jump on it. Don't wait. We don't want to... Have sad people later who who held off and didn't get something. So, yeah, I, hopefully this episode shows a little of the excitement that these guys can generate, and I I'm, I'm, I can't wait until people bring these home and can kind of share in that uh, that bubbliness that comes out of being around these awesome little creatures. Oh, I thought you were talking about us. <laughs> <laughs> I was. <laughs> it's amazing and. I don't know how many episodes now you've been on, Tom, but every single time is an absolute joy, and uh, we cannot thank you enough for uh, for talking to us and uh, letting us help you spread the love around a little bit. Thank you. No, it's it's so much appreciated, and I uh, if if I had nothing <laughs> work wise to talk about, I'd still join you just to nerd out about Star Wars and chat. 
because it's always a blast. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you. you. <laughs> yeah, thank, and thank you out there, everyone, for listening. And uh, yeah, we'll talk to you again next week. We got a, a May 4th uh, spectacular coming. So look forward to that. And Tom, seriously, thank you again. Absolutely, guys. Thanks. I'll talk to you soon. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. May the force be with you. Goodbye, old friend. May the force be with you. I still am. <laughs> you should see me when I'm hopped up. <laughs> Get the Dr. Peppers. Yeah. yeah. That's right. Yeah. I didn't even have one of them today. Woo! <laughs> <laughs>